the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series, a series of episodes dedicated to supporting teachers who are working from home amidst the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. The Teaching From Home podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. Now, my aim in this series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. There will be technology focused episodes, just how does remote teaching work? But there'll also be episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students' appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home. Then there are issues of safeguarding, differentiation, teacher mindset, student mindset, and much more that have already come up as the series has progressed. We will hear from maths teachers, teachers of other subjects, and primary school teachers. There'll be teachers from the UK and overseas. Hopefully, there'll be something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. This time around, I spoke to teacher and general maths legend, Jamie Frost, or Dr. Frost, as he is possibly better known. We discussed what Jamie's live teaching looks like during school closure, including issues such as modeling, questioning, and differentiation. We then discussed Jamie's platform, Dr. Frost Maths, and the different ways schools around the country are using it during this tricky time. The virtual whiteboard tool in particular is excellent. Do check it out if you haven't seen it. There's the ability to import exam questions, share your screen with students, and also see what they have written. And it's all completely free. I really hope you enjoy this conversation and find it useful. And as ever, please stay safe. Okay, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back Jamie Frost to the podcast. So, uh, Jamie, for the benefit of listeners who aren't aware of you and your work, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your school, please? Yeah, I'm um, yeah, I'm Jamie Frost. I've been teaching um, since 2012 when I was a teacher trainee. Um, so this is my eighth year of teaching now. Um, it, it doesn't seem like that long. It feels like I just started. Um, so I teach at um, Tiffin School, uh, which is a selective uh, state school uh, in southwest London. Um, and yeah, I've been there since I started teaching, basically. Um, I also run uh, Dr. Frost Mass, hence uh, my name and um, or the other way around, I should say, um, which I've been running pretty much since I've started teaching. But it's kind of evolved over the years. Um, it started as um, initially just posting my teaching resources on there. And then it's kind of got some online functionality as well um, at the moment. Fantastic. And yeah, as, as we were saying, just kind of um, off mic in, in the Skype chat, it's been over two years since you're on the podcast last 
and as we're going to dig into in the conversation, um, your website's kind of grown and grown and grown since then, and, and it's particularly come into its own uh, during the time of, of school closures. So we'll, we'll go deep into that, Jamie, um, as the conversation progresses. But um, just to kick things off, um, in this Teaching From Home series, I'm, I'm fascinated about how teachers are structuring their day. Well, when does it start? When does it end? When do you take breaks? When do you do all your preparation time? And how does it fit in with any other responsibilities you may have? So can you take us through a typical work day, Jamie, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. So my school has tried to maintain the sort of um, structure of the day as much as possible. So we don't have registrations in the morning, but otherwise all our lessons at the, the kind of usual scheduled time. Um, so because I, I know schools have, have different arrangements with this, but we, we're, we are trying to, to maintain it as much as possible. Um, there's a, a massive variety in terms of what teachers are doing in lessons. There's no requirements in terms of doing um, online video calls, but, but many teachers do. Uh, and I certainly know for, for the majority of my lessons, I do try to do it because um, the students largely do have that ta technology available. They, they do have Chromebooks, for example, school issued Chromebooks. Um, and um, it's. Yeah, it kind of it feels a bit weird because it feels like I'm still doing a normal teaching day and in, in, in to some extent, except that I can't necessarily see their faces. Um, but we're very much trying to to keep to that. Um, we were in fact doing registers as well. Um, we, we just don't have some of the, the usual things. Like we don't have house meetings, for example, um, although I believe one house is still having house meetings. But it's a bit weird because they, there's not actually house events at all. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's a bit weird because obviously things have obviously massively changed because I'm sitting at my computer doing the lessons. But at the same time, I'm, I'm seeing the same students. I still get to see some of their faces uh, and teaching in a moderately similar way to how I would usually at school in terms of there will be that bit where I, I kind of go for my PowerPoints and annotate over it. Um, so in, instead of writing on a whiteboard, I'm writing on a screen. But, but in, from a pedagogical perspective, it, it's still similar in some ways fascinating and we're going to dig deep into the technology you're using and how what your students are doing a little later and let me ask you Jamie as well um how are you finding this from a both a workload perspective and a fatigue perspective compared to teaching live and in the classroom initially it was more exhausting. I remember now kind of teach a, a WhatsApp group for the for maths department. Uh, we were saying this just is so much more exhausting. We're not going to be able to sort of maintain these sort of online live lessons. I think generally as, as things have gone on, we've become used to that. And and um, and the majority of the maths department are actually doing like that. Some have other responsibilities and, and kids and stuff, and it makes that harder. Um, but it, it has seemed easier. In, in my case, it's because I've got so many other responsibilities outside of my lessons, such as maintaining my site and such. Um, it's a bit more difficult, but, but I'm just about coping, I think. Um, it's, I initially noticed that the lessons just, it takes longer to do things in lessons, so explaining some content and such. It's just a bit quicker um, when you can do it on an actual whiteboard, and it's just a bit snappy asking students and such, where you don't have that pause, where you ask some stuff. Um, so it takes a bit longer to get through stuff. Um, but from a, a workload perspective, I, I would say it's um, roughly the same for the actual school stuff that I'm doing. OK, OK. Fa fascinating. Um, and in terms of the content you're covering, Jamie, and we spoke to quite a few teachers on this um, series who've shifted the order of the scheme of work for, for a number of reasons. Um, have you done that or are you teaching things in the same order you would have been normally? So years eight to 10, there's absolutely no change whatsoever. We're, we're just teaching exactly what we were supposed to be teaching um, in the syllabus. 
Uh, so there's no change there. Um, for year 12, because, well, some of them would have actually had external exams. The first mathematicians uh, entered for the actual, many of them entered for the external A-level at the end of year 12, and then they do the full first maths course in year 13. Uh, and we, we're obviously not doing that anymore. Um, but... Um, and we don't know yet whether they're going to have sort of internal exams and when when they're going to happen. Um, so we we've tried to do we, we've we've all been told to finish the syllabus with them if there was anything outstanding to do. Um, and we've actually been doing a few other topics. So uh, we've, we've got a little course on um, graph sketching um, because that's one particular area we find that students are a bit weaker mm. on. And it sort of helps them as well. If any of them have sort of sciencey or massy type university interviews, they do like those kind of questions. Yes. So we've been delving into that somewhat. Um, and we're also with our normal mathematicians, we're teaching one topic from the uh, the second year syllabus. I think, uh, well, I haven't got to it yet. Um, I believe it's um, sequences and series. Oh, that's interesting. So you haven't come across anything as of yet or your colleagues that doesn't lend itself well to, to, to remote teaching? Um, I, to be honest, if, if you've got the kind of correct combination of technologies, I don't see there's I don't think there's anything that you can't teach, really. Um, if you've got a whiteboard and they've got whiteboards they can draw on, it, it's hard to think of topics other than. I don't know, certain practical things you can't do. You can't use like multi-link cubes and things like that. Um, I don't think there's much that you can't remotely teach. Okay, okay, f fantastic. Um, so I'm getting the sense, Jamie, that you're doing the vast majority, if not all of your lessons are, are live teaching, and we'll, we'll get into what that looks like in a second. Um, are any of your colleagues in the maths department or across the school, are, are they choosing to do um, kind of assigning work, um, asynchronous learning? And what, what, what was the school policy? Was it very much in, in the hands of the teachers to decide what, what, how they wanted to approach this? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and there is some variety. I think from, my, from what I gather, the maths department is doing more live teaching than many of the other departments. Um, that's probably not entirely fair. There's other departments who do it as well, like science. I think they, they do much of their teaching live. Um, but it does vary a lot department by department. Uh, and within our department, um, I think the, the guidance is that, um, that if we can do two out of three of our lessons each week at the usual scheduled time, even if that's not necessarily that kind of live me, um, for example, setting work at the beginning of that lesson and sort of being there at that particular time when they would have had that scheduled lesson to be on hand to answer questions, etc., look at work. Um, then that, that's the guidance, a, a sort of minimum of two out of three lessons to have it at that particular scheduled time. Um, but as I said, it, it, it varies in the format that, that teachers use. Um, most of the maths teachers are doing live meets, for, for example, two out of three lessons. Um, but but there, there's at least one teacher who doesn't do any live meets at all, but still setting work at the correct time. Got it. <clears throat> Got it. Now, um, I remember when you were on the podcast um, a, a few years back, I asked you to talk me through one of one of your lessons. It's one of my favourite questions to to ask practising teachers. Um, I'm going to ask you the same question again, Jamie, but this time in terms of one of your, your online lessons, one of your, your live teaching via via um, remote learning um, and go into as much detail as you can, Jamie. I'm, I'm fascinated what your setup is uh, from your end. I'm interested in what your students setup is and I'm very interested in how the lesson starts and where it goes from there I'll, I'll probably interrupt you at an annoying phase is just to dig a bit deeper but just talk us through one of your lessons sure well i there's a variety of different lesson formats but my kind of staple lesson is uh well i should start by saying that 
Um, just the lesson starting, we, we, there's often a kind of bit of, a bit of casual banter, etc. That initial portion of the lesson is just where I can have some kind of casual uh, conversation with students just to see how they're getting on, etc. Because with, with much of the lesson now, particularly students are muting their microphones for most of the lesson until you ask them a specific question. So it's just to lighten up the mood a bit just before the lesson starts. Um, what's, then, what's, what's that on, Jamie? What, what software are you using there? Is that Zoom? Is it Teams? What, what are you using there? Yeah, we're using uh, Google Meet. Ah, oh, interesting. Fact, that's now integrated with Google Classroom. So Google have been making a lot of changes over the last month for obvious reasons. Uh, and in fact, that every Google Classroom now has a Google Meet link for it. And is that pretty pretty seamless how how it how it works? It's all you you don't have to leave the kind of Google infrastructure, do you not, to, to access the work and and do the videos. No, you don't have to use that. Um, if, if you do, if you are set up in Google Classroom and our school uses Google accounts, then it's all the better. But you can just go to Google Meet. Um, I don't think you even have to be necessarily a Google user. And um, and you just it gives you a link and then you give that link out to the students and they go to that and then you're in a meeting together. So it works quite similarly to other software. I see. And I see. And just let me get my head around this fully, because one of the one of the issues a lot of teachers uh, uh, seem to be encountering here is that kids are having to go to different places to find different things. Um, so it's a link here for one subject. It's a link here for another subject. Sometimes it's Zoom, sometimes it's Microsoft Teams and so on and so forth. And kids are getting kids are getting confused by this. Um, do you kind of how do if this isn't a stupid question, Jamie, how do the students know where to go for one of your lessons, if, if that makes sense? Well, with Google Classroom, it's a complete non-issue because the, the students all have G Suite accounts um, and the teachers, we, before the lockdown started, um, any kind of homework, for example, would have to be set via Google Classroom. Um, teachers use it to varying extent, so they might post resources to their Google Classroom, etc. But because that's all set up as a school, uh, we all have a sort of unified system that we, we use um, and it works pretty seamlessly. So students know instantly they can go to Google Classroom to see what's been set um, as kind of work or homework, depending on whether the teacher's doing a live lesson or they're not there, but they've set work on Google Classroom. Um, so it, it's it's all seamless. And um, I, I think it's generally better if schools like pick a, a kind of unified uh, system, a suite of tools and such that that can comprehensively deal with everything they're doing as a school. And, and we've done that with Google and, and it works great. Yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly something that's coming through and from a lot of people I speak to here, both on this series and also just on Twitter and, and just general conversations that consistency, if, if schools can find that consistent approach across subjects, it's, it's certainly beneficial. Um, you, you mentioned the, this uh, kind of you have a bit, bit of a chat to the kids um, at the start of the lesson. This is, again, something that's coming through that one of the, the things teachers are finding hardest is maintaining this kind of social interaction with the students and the feeling that they're not just staring at a screen. There's a real person behind there and it's their teacher and so on. Just tell me how you're managing that, Jamie. Is it a case that when the kids uh, kind of join the lesson or everyone's mics on and you're just saying hello to them as they come in? Or is it via the chat function? How are you kind of getting this chat going before the lesson? And starts formally well it, it used to not be a problem now it's been more of a problem because the, the students know that their microphone should be off by default to avoid it being a kind of free-for-all mm. um but i'm increasingly finding that students are, are having their 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 cameras off for the entire lesson um which is fine um but it it, it just means that that kind of um social interaction isn't quite there so much but i'd just like to sort of ask questions um 
I don't know. I just um, I like to ask kind of casual questions to students if I sort of know particular things about the circumstances, etc. Um, and um, it, it's generally pretty low key and, and casual. And there's only usually a, a few students that ta- take part in that conversation. Um, but um, partly because they often getting there from the previous lesson so that there's not too much turnaround in terms of time to get from one lesson to the other. Um, but then when, once we get to the actual lesson, they have their, their mics off unless they're specifically saying something. And students' behaviour is very good in terms of um, uh, adhering to that. I'd say that's a fascinating one, Jamie, that I've not considered before. Um, uh, quite a lot of the people I speak to on this series aren't um, sticking to the kind of school timetable for reasons of kind of access to technology and sure. access to um, kind of the, the Internet and all that kind of thing. Um, but one thing I've not, not considered is uh, kind of getting from one lesson to, to another. So you finish a lesson and perhaps a lesson kind of overruns and stuff. And then you've got to kind of click on click on another link to access the maths lesson and so on. But the, the thing I was thinking, and it's just struck me now is kids that of course between lessons get a bit of a break they get to they get to walk from one classroom to the other they get to talk to their friends maybe whilst they're walking and so on and so forth whereas there's a danger isn't there with this that the kids literally are staring at a screen for 50 minutes or an hour or however long the lessons are and then they click on a link and without any break whatsoever they're straight into the next lesson and this could happen you know two hours on end three hours on end and so on and are you finding or are the kids finding that that's a bit of an issue with fatigue and is there any ways to kind of combat that that you've 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 uh, instigated i think that that's partly why i have that sort of five minutes mm. at the start of the lesson um or partly to allow the students to to get to the class because some of their instantly some of their a few minutes later but it also gives them a tiny bit of a sort of downtime between mm. those lessons um they obviously still get their breaks and we have quite a generously long lunch time um as well so they do get those breaks but it, it's quite hard unless you're setting tasks that don't involve a screen and i must admit i'm i'm pretty bad that i, I haven't set any offline tasks um it's it's quite hard to get around that it, it's sort of the hope that that this doesn't go on forever <laughs> that, okay we're gonna this is only a temporary thing we're not gonna have to deal with this permanently uh, and even if it's slightly uh, non-ideal situation at the moment at least it's it's they're going to be back at school as normal um in the hopefully not too distant future yeah, fascinating. Um, so what after this kind of initial chat phase, Jamie, what, what happens next in, in your lessons? What, what's the next phase? So in, in the kind of staple lesson, I would then sort of explain material, whether from my, my slides or elsewhere. Um, I use because I use PowerPoint. Uh, PowerPoint has a nice feature where you can sort of annotate the slides and, and choose the pen color and such. Uh, so if you right click and and choose a pen option um, you can then draw on your own slides and it asks you whether you want to keep those annotations or discard them later so i would just explain it in the usual way um, i would perhaps ask uh, students questions throughout that um, so one particular system um, i've used to make sure that students are still engaged in the lesson is to just call a ran well perhaps a random student or a kind of targeted student mm. Oh, so um, Jimmy, um, what's the answer to this or what do you think about this? Um, and it keeps them on their toes because they know they can't sort of wander off and, and they um, munch a chocolate bar or something. <laughs> in the lesson. They have to actually still be in the lesson because their name could be called at any point when I ask them a question. And, um, and in that situation, Jimmy, like Jimmy would unmute his mic, would he? And then kind of say the answer is he typing that in, in a chat yeah. function? Correct. So, so usually they used to say it, um, but I'm increasingly finding they, they prefer to type it. And I haven't quite worked out why this is, whether this is sort of like online video conferencing fatigue or whatever. Yes. Um, 
But um, I'd say about 50% of the time they say it and 50% of the time they type it on the on, on Google Meet's chat facility. That's interesting. And the other thing I was going to ask you, just on a practical level, um, is your face visible throughout this or is it just is your screen literally taken up by, by the PowerPoint and your annotations? Um, so if I'm presenting, so with, with um, just like with Skype, where you can share your screen uh, with with Google Meet, you can share your screen as well. And um, I think it shows both my face and as a separate view, the, the screen I'm sharing. But the thing is, once you share your screen, that's the default thing that appears to them. Mm. So if students were really keen on seeing my face, they could go to the sort of like on the right bar and sort of select my face and then pin it to the screen but i don't know why they do that uh, <laughs> so so generally they would just see my screen and not me got it got it and uh, again final kind of technical thing on this jamie well, what are you using to, to to do the writing here is this a, a tablet or are you doing it straight onto your laptop how, how are you writing how are you annotating um, to be honest, I, I just I'm pretty good with my mouse, so I, I generally uh, use that to write on it. You're joking? You, you just yeah, no, mouse. I use, I'm I'm pretty good with the mouse, so um, that that's what I use. I do actually have a um a tablet I could use, but um I I I just have I've got in the habit of using my mouse, and it and it's been fine. Can you write? You can't write words, can you, with it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I use a lot of graphic software, so it's um, I've got quite a, a steady hand. Wow, flipping it! That's blown my mind a little bit. That flipping it, jeez. Okay, fine. All right, so um, you, you're writing with your mouse. You, you're asking, you're asking these questions. <laughs> you're asking these questions. You're using perhaps one of your powerpoints that's available. Um, your, your wonderful powerpoints that every school I visit, I, I, I see in operation. Um, your wonderful powerpoints that are available, uh, freely available on your website. Um, what so that kind of phase of the lesson where you're explaining and you're questioning you're modeling is there any difference to how that runs compared to how it would run just live in a classroom is it pretty much the same jamie it's it's pretty similar that the obviously the big downfall is you, you just you don't get that visual interaction you can't see them you can't see the expression on their face if they're like cringing because they don't know how to do it whether um it's and that that's the big thing you, you can still they can still say so i don't understand can you explain some more when you, you do ask a student to explain an answer um but I've, I've kind of got used to it in some ways now because i've been doing this a lot now um it, it's not ideal but it, it's it's i wouldn't say it's sub optimal it still works pretty well um in terms of being able to assess students what they understand because you can still ask students you've got you've still got that all j feedback even if you don't have that visual feedback yeah it's, it's interesting and um, again i've done so many of these now and um, i forget who made this point but i thought it was really interesting they they made the point that actually whilst it's it's you're missing that element of seeing the kids faces actually it forces you just to get a bit more evidence about what the kids actually understand as opposed to going off just kind of you yeah know, what they look like and what you sense they understand you, you're forced to actually ask questions and get more reliable evidence would, would that be fair yeah no i absolutely agree with that um, i think because you haven't got that visual feedback um you just have to be a bit more thorough um in in making do with what you have Yes. Yeah. Um. Again, I forgot to ask this, Jamie. And the, um, from the student side of things, they're all on Chromebooks. Is that right? Or would some be using tablets? And uh, is there any issues with kids not having access to, to tech to watch these lessons? Well, we're, we're extremely lucky as a school because two years ago um, we, we switched to students um, having Chromebooks. We got the, the, the kids have to pay for them, but we got a very good deal. Um, and they're touch um, sensitive screens so they can actually draw on the screens as well. So they're just uh, 
they're, they're net well i don't know what we would call them netbooks they're kind of like cheap laptops as such but these ones have touch sensitive screens nice so they've all got those that's that's fantastic and um, what about the kind of setting of work you mentioned that you don't do any offline tasks so what, what do these tasks look like jamie that you're setting um so it's a variety so it could be that i just because some i often have the exercises in my slides so I'll, I'll keep that shared on my screen so they can see that um that that's one thing i do and then i sort of gradually reveal answers and i sort of ask them throughout the lesson know who's got this answer etc um so that's what i would often traditionally do in a lesson um but um there's a variety of other things i do so um, for example, my platform, I can choose a bunch of questions or, or set a past paper to a group of students. And I did this, for example, with um, my year 11 class before we finally finished. Um, and well, I wouldn't call it study leave because it's not it isn't study leave anymore. But for example, I set um, uh, an abridged Excel paper uh, to them on my platform. And I actually sort of modified my software so I could get live updates of what they're doing. So as they're doing the paper, I can see whether it's right or wrong. I could click on it to see their answer. Um, and I've got a little refresh button that I've now added. So they will refresh that data. So they go throughout the lesson. I can see exactly where they're up to in the paper and how many they've got right and wrong and what those questions are. Um, and that that's just worked really brilliantly. Like I'm going to do that a lot more, in fact, when when I get back to school, because it just so worked well. It worked so well with this class. Um, and it meant, for example, I could ask a student, oh, I noticed uh, you put this answer for that question. Um, can you explain to me why you got that answer? Um, and in some ways, I don't think I might not. Well, I, I suppose I would do that in a normal lesson. But because I'm sitting at my laptop able to see their answers instantly for all the students, in some ways, I'm more thorough than I would be in an actual live in an actual lesson when I'm there with the students. That's interesting. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's that's interesting. That a possible positive from that. Um, um, just on, on this as well, Jamie, would, would the kids be set any homework, or is is everything just kind of what's happening in in, in the lesson itself? Um, I believe, and I hope I don't misquote the school <laughs> policy on this. Um, that it's 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 really just the the work set in the lesson, and that we don't generally set homework. Um, the only exception to that is I do set my year twelve some homework. Yes. Um, because they're, they're just quite an important year group. Um, but with the, the younger students, I generally don't set homework. Some of them, if I have set them a task, so for example, I don't know, with my top set year nine, I might have had a lesson where I've set them um, a, I am an intermediate math challenge paper to do during the lesson. And then some of them just go away off their own back and finish that paper they didn't finish in the lesson, which is great. But it's not formally set as homework. If we did want to set homework, we can do that all via uh, Google Classroom. Got it. Got it. And, and do, does your lesson end in any particular way? Do you bring all the kids if the, I'm picturing the kids are off kind of working on on tasks from your platform or they're doing the, the exercises that you do on your slides? Do you bring it together for like a, a formal plenary or a goodbye or anything? What, how, how do these lessons wrap up, Jamie? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not the biggest person for like like an absolute set structure for, for the lesson. Um so with my plenary as such, it, it might be, for example, that I just go, I pick a bunch of students like, what did you get for this answer? What did you get for this answer? If it was, say, a traditional exercise mm. that they're doing, um, if it was like um, I've got this game I could play, which is is, is similar to uh, Kahoot uh, called Dr. Ross Live. Um, and the, the plenary would be that 
um, I reveal the scores and they find out how they did. And then um, I might, for example, go over a particularly hard question that I know that most people got wrong, etc. Um, so that's what I generally do. The, the kind of usual things I do at the end of my lesson, I'm not, I don't think I'm doing particularly anything out of the usual um, for this kind of remote learning I see. I see. And another con a concern that's come through from a lot of people I've spoke to, Jamie, is, is differentiation. And this is kind of related, I guess, to the difficulty of, of sensing whether kids are struggling or not and so on. I guess you can kind of get around that to a, a large extent if you're setting tasks and you're getting this kind of live feedback and responses in there. But is it... Is it then difficult to kind of tweak the task and set different work to different kids? Or have you, have you found a way around that? Hmm. Um, one, one facility on my site is that you can set like an automated homework. So you could set like a difficulty range and the topics um, uh, for the question for the questions. And then they will get diff automatically differentiated questions. I find, and, and this is why there's a sort of big push on my site for, for kind of different ways of um, testing students, that it, there's a certain degree of potluck in what they get, um, because if, if the questions have been drawn from a large database of largely past paper exam questions, um, there's quite a breadth in the questions that they can get. Um, so I, I tend to find that setting specific questions uh, works better for those students. Um, but then it obviously makes differentiation harder. I could, for example, compile do two different sets of questions um, in advance and then set one set to half the class and then another set to the other half the class. So I could do the differentiation in that way. But to be honest, because um, our class are setted in my school um, after year seven anyway um, I, I, I generally find that there's, there's not a need for that as such got it um, and another one I'm just kind of hitting all, all the big concerns teachers have here just to get um, your take on it is, is feedback are you, um, are, you, are, you, are you overly concerned about that and, and have you found a way to, to make giving kids individual feedback work and the, the reason I ask this Jamie is because that's something that seems to be very difficult compared to in a classroom you can just wander around a child asks you a question you talk a little bit and so on and so forth that that seems to be quite hard to hard to replicate um, in an online setting well what, what's your take on that in terms of feedback well yeah so that sort of comes into assessment for learning that, that mm -hmm. we're discussing earlier so um in terms of being able to ask specific students whether it's either in the initial sort of teaching um, portion of the lesson or the the later kind of exercise portion of the lesson um, I can still ask specific students um, what um, how they're going with a particular question or what their particular answer is and you can still do that in this remote mm -hmm. setting even if you're not in the classroom you're not doing anything like um I'm thinking more kind of replicating that kind of one to one discussion you may have with with a child. Are you are, you, oh, are, there, are there any facilities for kind of like a breakout room within Google Classroom or anything like that? Because I'm just thinking of that, that child who lacks confidence. and You want to have a conversation with that child, but you don't want everyone necessarily listening to it, if that makes sense. Any, any way of doing that or is that not, not too big an issue so far for you? Um, it hasn't been an issue, and I must admit that, that I haven't done any of that. Um, the only thing, thing I can think of in smaller groups is with, with form times where I've split the form into much smaller groups that we can mm -hmm. have slightly um, more sort of personal discussions and stuff that they wouldn't want to have in a, in a large group. Um, but, um, yeah, in terms of a, a lesson... Um, I, I, I'm not really doing that. I don't I don't have breakout rooms and I don't think Google Meet has a facility. You would have to have a separate um, Google Meet link and then the student joining in that. But it, to be honest, doing a lesson, that might be a bit of a faff. 
Yeah, it gets a bit fiddly. No, no, no worries. And the the other um, concern is is safeguarding, Jamie, and this this notion that effectively now the teacher is is entering the home of of the students. They're there. They've got a video link up and so on. You mentioned that some of your kids kind of have their video cameras cameras turned off during the lesson. And um, is safeguarding an issue in that sense? And has your school been uh, kind of given any advice to you as a teacher in in terms of kind of do's and don'ts for for, for this? Um, I think it's sort of common sense policy. So, for example, um, if we are, if we have got our video cameras on, that it should be in a sort of neutral part of our house without kind of um, like personal photographs in the background and such. So my, I'm just against a sort of uh, plain wardrobe at the moment. Um, so it's not very exciting. Um, but um, to be honest, most of the students keep their cameras off now. So it's kind of very much a non-issue. And when they're doing it, it's 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 generally against a wall or um or it's it, it basically hasn't been an issue i see good good um just a, bit, a few kind of summary questions jamie and then i want to then i want to just dig a little bit deeper into your platform so so just summary uh just just generally well what's working well what, what, what are you enjoying about this um i think it's been able to explore the sort of technologies that i might not be using in to quite so much extent and, and actually developing those technologies as well so um for example that year 11 a lesson i mentioned where i set them uh that that paper and and that lesson just worked so well being able to monitor them throughout the lesson and have that really organic kind of conversation about the questions like that really worked well and 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 being able to explore lessons like that um from this remote setting that that's worked well um I think there's certain things also that I and I know we're talking about my platform later, like being able to do DFM live lessons. So this sort of Kahoot style uh, task where um, they see the questions on their screen and and they see how many points they got and they're all competing against each other and such. Um, that that still worked well. I've had to modify the software again to make that work well. Um, but um, in some ways, it's kind of staple lesson of being able to sort of explain a topic and sort of annotate over it i might not be using a whiteboard pen but i can still use my mouse um that still worked almost as well as if i was in a classroom i think okay fantastic and what's not working so well i think it's just the sort of uh dwindling atmosphere in lessons where because i because they all have their cameras off and they, they mostly have their microphones off unless i specifically ask them um even just from my own perspective of, of having that sort of day-to-day interaction of kids, you, it's not quite the same. And that quality of interaction is definitely not as good. Um, and I think that hasn't worked so well. I think it's also easier for students to kind of fade into the background, because if you haven't specifically targeted certain students um, in your questioning, then because you can't see them, it, it's harder to know at any point of the lesson sort of, gauge their understanding and such and and mm-hmm. that is that afl stuff is much harder i think from w- with remote learning yeah absolutely um we're, we're a few weeks into into kind of lockdown and school closures now jamie have, have you changed anything as, as time's gone on um no i think i think my f- uh, lesson formats have largely stayed the same i've tried a, a greater variety of things but um other than i think as i i mentioned like students generally um fading slightly into the background not from in terms of engagement and lessons but but just keeping their cameras off and their microphones off um I, I don't think there's really otherwise been been much of a change since we started 
Uh, the first day, the first day was a bit of a nightmare because students were trying to get used to this technology, <laughs> and it's kind of like rule of students by default having their mics muted meant it was a bit of a free for all. Um, but they were quite sensible after that, to be honest. And um, it's since since then, really, after the first week, it's it's been pretty much the same. Oh, that's good. And did you get a sense of how your kids are finding the experience? And I'm thinking both here in terms of. The, the idea of online learning and then kind of being at, at school at home, but also just kind of generally kind of mindset and how they're finding not seeing their friends and being cooped up in their houses and so on and so forth. What, what, what's your what's your take on your students experience, Jamie? Well, I get a sense of that from my former times, actually, because, um, yeah, I have three form times a week um, and because my, my form group is split into three and I see one group each week. Um, and it's just interesting the chats we have. But to be honest, most of them have just become they've just got used to it, to be honest. Um, they can still because they largely speak to their friends and stuff using WhatsApp and stuff. The culture's changed since I was younger. <laughs> um, and. I think initially, um, because even just from my own personal experience, like the first few weeks were hard and just having to spend all day in the house when uh, usually be traveling to work, etc. cetera. Um, and I think it, this has kind of become the norm as such. Like we've been doing it for so long uh, that we've just become accustomed to it. And I've obviously been telling kids it's really important you kind of go for your daily walk and such and, and get exercise. But I've, there's, I've kind of been expecting to for my students to find it harder than they have. I think they've just become accustomed to it, got used to it, and just hoping that that we can go back to normal. I think it's more that they they're bored of it. They're just bored of yes. this this whole situation um, and bored of remote learning and and um, just want to be in school lessons. Where, as you can say, that movement between lessons and and just not being at their desk for uh, all the day. I think they're finding that hard, um, but. I, they, they've coped with it surprisingly well to their credit fantastic um before we um, do some reflections to wrap things up jamie i just want to talk a little bit about your platform itself and, and in particular you know what's happened in, in the last few weeks since schools have been closed then um, first off <laughs> jamie tell me about the first day schools were closed because you must have been hammered in terms of kind of traffic and stuff have you got any kind of figures of, of how in terms of how many extra kids were accessing that day that it, on that first day compared to a, a normal day Oh, yeah, my, my goodness. It was absolutely um, <laughs> crazy because um, I just I, I anticipated and I moved servers. Um, so I now use Amazon Web Services. I, I used to be hosted on a, a friend server and um, it's now on Amazon Web Services. And it just it didn't we, we didn't anticipate quite the volume of traffic because there was um, like over a million page views. And um, when typically I would have maybe like, I don't know, 400,000 page views a day. Mm. Um, so that, that's like 2.5 times more. And um, there were significant problems. And in fact, I was just like um, working past midnight every day over the Easter holidays, just completely recoding all all the sort of core code in my platform to to basically make sure that um, the server could cope. And, and thankfully, it worked. And um, in fact, I've now downgraded my server, um, saving huge amounts on server costs because the code is so much more efficient now. <laughs> that's great and did you get a sense jamie of how i mean you might not know the answer to this but how teachers um either within your school your department or just kind of uh maths teachers around the country how, how do they use um your, your resources in this 
um, time of school closures? Are they setting, is it just setting tasks, uh, but combining it with kind of their own teacher kind of explanations and videos? Or is it, are they kind of going the whole hog, just kind of setting tasks and kids working independently through them? Do you, do you have a sense of, of how teachers are using your site and your resources? And, and kind of the follow up to that is what what be your advice for teachers? How, how do you think they could get the most out of um, your resources? Yeah, no, I've had I've had all sorts of contact from literally schools around the world, like every continent, um, except (laughs) except Antarctica. (laughs) That's a continent. Um, But um, and and it's interesting on Twitter seeing how teachers and and from emails, how teachers are using in different ways, because it's not just um, sort of it's not just a homework platform. Obviously, you've got my sort of slides as well, which a lot some teachers are just using the slides and that's fine. some teachers are using the homework platform to set the homeworks, but there are kind of suite of tools on there. So some are using it to sort of um, it's a bit like an exam wizard as well. Like you can build uh, papers um, using collections of questions, using past paper questions from all the major exam boards. And then they can sort of export it to PDF and send those to their students. If they want to do it a bit more offline um, or they can send to their students. Um, so they, they're using that facility. Some of them, a lot of people are using the whiteboard now. So actually, this time a month ago, I was thinking of abandoning that because not many people were using it um, and it was going to require too much time to do further development on this. So this is like a virtual whiteboard that I developed. Um, and so many teachers are using it now and people saying how it's been really useful for their remote learning. Um, and and I suppose because I, I made the virtual whiteboard well before the whole lockdown period or anticipating this was coming up because I started the code, I think, in December. And it's just really interesting now with this whole remote learning thing that that's it's taken on a completely different dimension that obviously having a virtual whiteboard is much more important for teachers to use when they're doing that remote learning. Um, and because it has um, it has a bunch of functionality, which is quite useful for, for mass teaching in particular. So teachers can um browse the, the database of questions, um, exam questions, etc., and then um, import it into their whiteboard so they can then annotate over it. So nice. that, they found that quite useful, and I use that an awful lot. But also the connectivity with student whiteboards. So the teachers can give out a link to the students. That will then connect to the sort of teacher's master whiteboard, and anything they write will appear on the student screens. But also the teacher can see all the whiteboards of all the students. So that's really good from an AFL perspective. If I ask a question, and I do use it a lot in my lessons, if I ask a, a particular question um, and I'll sort of import it, I don't know, exam question onto that whiteboard, all the students can see it. They then have to sort of work, do their workings over it and write the answer. And then I can see instantly all their answers. Um, you would do that usually in a, in a classroom with actual physical mm. whiteboards or you could they show up their Chromebook or whatever. But I can still do that remotely and, and still see all their answers um, uh, immediately, which is really useful. Um, so that that's used quite a lot. Um, this idea of setting a, a sort of paper a past paper to your students or a bridged or modified paper to your students and then being able to see their live answers throughout uh, the lesson. That's been useful. Many, many teachers have been using the live game and that's seen a, a big increase in usage. So that's the sort of um, Kahoot style game where questions appear on their screens at the same question for all students. And then they input their answers and they get more points there fast, so that kind of stuff, just like Kahoot. Um, that's been used a lot more. So it's, it's a huge variety, and it's interesting to see that, um, okay, some schools are using all of that, 
But some schools are just picking and choosing um, the sort of components of that technology that they want to use, which is great. Uh, and I'm not, to be honest, I'm not advocating you use every single thing. Um, I'm just advocating that you use what's going to be useful for your particular classes and particular students. Wow, it's, it's it's amazing, Jamie. I had a little play around with the with the whiteboard. Um, it's 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 fantastic because it's 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 got that right balance for me of simplicity, but then so you can just dive in straight away and get right and things and so on. But as you say, the the ability to to import exam questions and annotate over them, and then yeah, like share your screen and see your kids' screens is is fantastic. It's worth saying at this point, Jamie. Right, and just in case listeners aren't aware, this is all completely free. You're not you're not charging a penny for this. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's completely free. I, I never intend to charge ever. In fact, I'm in the process of registering as a charity. So I've got my trustees now, uh, which are two colleagues in the maths department. Um, and actually, the hard part, I've got the, a sort of trustee form for them to sign. But I have to post it to <laughs> the first trustee with like three spare stamps. In, so they can then post it the next person <laughs> and then eventually post it back to me so I can then send that off. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not in it for the money. Um, I just really want teachers to be able to benefit from that and make sure that all teachers and students regardless of the the, the students or the school's income uh, can benefit from that technology and resources that's it that's incredible now having known you for a few years now and then spoke to you in person but also followed you on twitter i mean there's no doubt you're a workaholic jamie in terms of the hours that you, you're putting into all this and um, can you just give us a bit of a sense of aside from the time you're putting into your, your your online lessons that you're teaching for your own kids what what do you spend your time doing on dr frost is it is it fixing stuff is it optimizing stuff or is it working on new features well where, where does that time go at the moment it's um my plans have considerably changed. I had a plan at the start of the year of what I wanted to achieve, and it was particularly like resource production focused at the start of the year. Um, Things have changed now. So at the moment, it's sort of heavy development. So, um, for example, I've completely replaced the question answering system over the Easter holiday, uh, partly for um, server reasons, but also it's a brand new interface. There's now that um, little mini whiteboard with the same technologies we were discussing where they can write on that. And I'm about to change it so that actually that that data where they write on the board is recorded so teachers can see the students working. Um, I've also um, replaced the dashboard, which in fact for students was released just this morning. Um, and the big new thing, as I mentioned, that there's sort of a criticism of my site that um, if you set, say, an automated task to students, because there's such a breadth in sort of past paper questions, that it's it's slightly harder to sort of target very very specific areas um Mm. if you if you set a fixed question homework and you as a teacher select the questions advanced you don't have that problem but really i want this kind of system where you can have very fine-grained question types very specific key skills where um students can practice a whole load of that very specific type of question and very um specific videos short videos that explains how to do that particular type Mm. of question like a worked example and that's really what i'm focusing on because i I appreciate that is a a current weakness of my system and i'm trying to address that basically for the next academic year so that's the big really big thing i'm working on at the moment um trying to get that ready for september but um we're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of um hours of work there and the hard (laughs) part is because um i have the help of um gayton who's um uh, he's a full-time teacher in another school. Um, but basically, we're just a two-man team. I do all the coding, um, and he basically maintains the question database and, to build, and deals with some of the support queries. Um, most 
other kind of similar platforms would, would have a full-time team of staff on this and we're two full-time teachers doing this on the side so it's really difficult and um particularly when i register as a charity um i'm going to sort of consider funding options can i um find ways to be able to actually employ staff and such to sort of try and deal with that because my work-life balance is is just completely stupid and uh, i do need to find more time for myself and and trying to do literally everything um it's, it's kind of too much for one person. So I sort of need to think about ways I can get around that. Yeah, you, you, you certainly do, Jamie. Again, it's one of those things you, you do an incredible service for, for teachers. But, yeah, you, you've got you've certainly got to think of yourself. That's something something I've certainly learned um, over the last few years. Um, just just on that, um, that you were mentioning there, the kind of thing you're aiming for for September. It's such a big thing that, you know, because um I found this with students. You, they'll go on YouTube or wherever to, to find a video for something to help them. But it'll be very, it'll be a long video and it'll be broad and it'll cover quite a few different skills and so on. And the kid often doesn't know themselves the specific thing that they need help on or they can't find it within this video or they don't know the search terms to put in and then they can't find practice on that specific thing they can only find a, a worksheet that's very broad and so on it's a huge problem and if you can solve that Jamie that that's a big one that isn't it because as you say it means that teachers can set targeted work for students but students themselves doing independent practice can focus on the areas that they need to it's it's a huge problem it, and you, you think it's solvable Jamie? I, I think so. So what I'm trying to work at is kind of procedural, like sort of um, random generation of questions. So um, for each different, very specific type of question, I, I might be able to have some kind of degree of variation, mm. um, but still very much essentially the same kind of question and be now to sort of randomly generate questions, including like randomly generated diagrams and stuff. So in fact, my whiteboard technology plays into that because I can sort of create templates um, with sorts of certain placeholders for sort of random text and random numbers and stuff. So that all kind of feeds into that. Um, and that's a, the task I'm trying to solve. As you say, like some of these videos are too long. And, and indeed, I, I admit that my YouTube videos, if it's a 15 minute long video, that's probably too long. I'm covering too many skills within a certain topic. I really want it to be a bit more fine-grained and for students to be able to practice like um, multiple of the same kind of question um, they might still be able to mix various key skills together so they could um, combine three different key skills but at least they have that control saying I want to practice these very mm. these three very specific kind of questions rather than not quite knowing exactly what kind of question they're going to get within a particular topic Yes, absolutely. And and final question on this, Jamie, and this is kind of a, a selfish one, because I'm fascinated about this as well. Um, as, as a video creator, um, and I, I know that you didn't you didn't really start putting videos out until relatively recently into into the development of your site. Um, what, what have you learned, Jamie, about what makes what makes a good video? What, what are some of the things that you're kind of running through your head when you're thinking, right, I'm going to record a video on this particular thing? Um, I think it's getting the, the sort of works examples you do right, picking the, a really good selection of questions um, that starts from like a sort of like uh, kind of very bare basics question that that strips down everything to the fundamentals of the topic you're trying to teach um, so that. It, you don't have that kind of complication of like difficult numbers or some diff, like peculiarity in the question that it's really to the fundamentals of what you're trying to teach. Um, so it's picking the right selection of questions and just thinking really carefully about how you explain it um, in a way that sort of um, embeds it within their current knowledge, like what they currently understand and what they 
have sort of innate in their head about what they understand about other topics and sort of trying to play on that um, and thinking really carefully about how you explain it. Yeah, fascinating. And again, it's it's all I've certainly found this whenever I, I, I record videos. It's stuff that then helps you when you then go into the classroom, because it's, it's the things that you should be thinking about, the, the choice of examples, the words that you use, the sequencing and mm. so on. It's it's all yeah. transferable skills. It's, it's fascinating, Jamie. And um, well, let, let's bring things together then with with a few um, reflections. And um, is there anything about distance teaching or remote learning uh, that you prefer to to in the classroom teaching? Um, I don't think I prefer anything. I, I always prefer to be in the classroom. Uh, in, thing, in terms of things I've done better, I think that year 11 lesson I mentioned, why I set the past paper and because and I'm at my computer seeing like instantaneously all their answers at the same time, like that's better than what I might be doing in a lesson. Um, but other than that, um, I think it's more trying to sort of replicate as much as possible the experience in the classroom. Um, I'd, I'd always rather be in the classroom. I like to be have that proper interaction with kids and not, and not via computer screen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you think this experience will change your classroom teaching in, in any way? I think it's just those kind of range of technologies and, and how I've uh, modified my software to sort of adapt to the remote learning. I think I think I'll, I think I'll be using that uh, a bit more in my teaching when I get back, I think. Good. Um, and finally, and there's kind of two parts to this, this question, Jamie. Um, I wonder if you've got any advice or tips, firstly, for teachers just generally um, trying to cope with remote learning or distance teaching and so on and so forth. And then also, um, if, you, if you had a teacher listening who wanted to get stuck into Dr. Frost maths for, for the first time, where would you advise them to start? Um, so advice for teachers, I think it's kind of quite hard because... Um, different schools have very different policies. Some completely ban any kind of like live teaching as such. Um, but I think even if you're not doing that live teaching, if there's a way that you can sort of set the work at particular scheduled times rather than uh, setting all the week's work at the start of the week, I think the, the biggest positive feedback to a head teacher, and he's received so many emails from parents saying, um, uh, thank you for, for how the school's been provided, providing for our students. But it's particularly that aspect of students still having that routine and having lessons at the normal time. I think they've appreciated particularly. Um, but it really depends on the school. Um, and that's a difficult thing of giving any sort of generic advice where different schools have completely different policies on, on how the learning takes place. Um, I think just trying to have as normal interaction with those students as possible. Um, whether that's um, whether that's just written in, in your emails or, or, or chats with them or whether it's the sort of video conferencing as such, um, because it's really important to keep those relationships with your students. I think I think that's important. But yet it's hard because different schools have different ways of doing these things. And, and I'm not sure there's any kind of generic piece of feedback that would apply to every teacher in every situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, th I think you're right there, Jamie. D different constraints and diff different challenges. And um, how about the question about uh, Dr. Frost? So we've got a teacher listening. They're excited. They're a maths teacher. They want to get stuck in perhaps to, to use your resources within this time while schools are closed. And where should they start, do you reckon? So one of the reasons I redesigned the dashboard is to be absolutely clear, like what's available. Um, so it, it, it's much simpler dashboard and it has a bunch of little different tiles saying DFM whiteboard, DFM live, um, set of tasks for students, etc. So it's all very self-explanatory. There's little bits of text that explain each thing. So I would say 
um, just have a play from the dashboard, but check out the resources section because if you click the resource explorer, uh, it shows everything available for each topic. So not just my slides, there's a, a big column for all my teaching resources and such, but you can see the other things that are available there, like the topic test, the videos, etc. So explore that first. Um, then have a go at the DFM whiteboard. It's fairly self-explanatory, um, but I really think that can make a massive impact to your remote teaching. Um, and play DFM Live as well, so this kind of Kahoot-style game, because students absolutely love it. They beg me to play it all the time with them. Um, I think that's something else uh, for you to try as well. And then, yeah, you, you could, um, I'd, I'd say, set up a class on there if you want to then start setting tasks to your students. I would personally advise... Uh, fixed question homeworks and it's very easy to construct the, the it's very much a point and click interface to construct your worksheets and and papers to set your students but i would advise that and say the topic tests over the, the automated homeworks at the moment uh, the topic test by the way um is where and i'm chatting to my sort of teaching friends um in other schools they've they've particularly used that because they're pre-compiled um, selections of eight past paper exam questions on each topic. So if you've just taught a topic and you want to assess how your students are doing, then choose a topic test. So you've got eight past paper questions. I think there's an easy one and a hard one for each topic and set those to your students and, and just play with it, experiment. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and do feel free um, to contact me as well um, and email me if you, if you have any queries about how, how any of that works. Fantastic. Well, Jamie, as it was last time, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And just a, just a selfish plea from me is whatever you do, don't burn yourself out here because there are thousands of uh, math teachers who are heavily reliant, and I'm one of them, um, on your wonderful work. So so keep sane, keep safe and, and keep doing what you're doing, Jamie. But it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you, Craig. It's been a pleasure.